well, I've been praying and I've been praying and nothing seems to be happening. Why do I continue to pray if God just won't respond to me? God, are you listening? God, do you see me? God, do you know me? I'm so frustrated that I'm reaching out to God and he seems so silent. Have you asked yourself those questions ever before? Do those questions ring a bell to you or questions similar to them? That you've cried out to God and it seems like as you cry out to him, there's nothing. It's silent. He's just not there. The reality is if we're honest this morning, probably every single one of us have been in that place before. That place of just wondering, God, what are you doing? Are you sleeping? Why are you so far off? Why is it that I can't hear from you? We wonder if God is there. We wonder why he's silent. Today we're going to examine a third topic in this series that we've called silence. And today we're going to look at when God seems silent, we must draw near to him. When God seems silent, we must draw near to him. And before we get into today's message and really begin to, to look at someone named Asaph and his life and kind of how he was dealing with some of the same struggle and, and that same question of God, why are you silent? I want to take just a minute uh, just to say welcome. I am so thankful that each of you are here and I'm so thankful for all of you that are joining us on live stream today. Uh, we're going to have a great time together and I pray that God speaks clearly, clearly to you about this topic. Uh, he really zones in and is able to help you understand if this is where you are. But one of the things I do want to do is just let you know that over these three weeks, we've been able to look at some reasons why God might be silent, not an exhaustive list by any means. If you missed any of the other weeks, please make sure you go online or to our app and find those and catch up with us. Um, just a couple weeks behind, so not a really, really big deal. You can do that pretty quickly. And then I also want to let you know this. This is a place... Um, that I take very, very seriously. It is always an honor to be able to come and to stand here and to share God's Word with you. Um, and one of the things I always appreciate is when Pastor Philip gives me the opportunity to do this. And I also know that Pastor KT at our Ridge and Pastor Wes at our West Campus, uh, we value the opportunity that we get to stand and we get to speak. And then it's especially important right now, a special privilege that Pastor Philip said, hey, for three weeks, I'm going to let you guys do a sermon series. I'm going to let you do what you'd like to. So we sat down and just kind of prayed through and thought about what we wanted to do. And we came up with this topic called silence. And so I just want to say thank you to him for the opportunity to do that, to be able to do that, because I know for him, this is a huge passion of his. And to give that up for three weeks to some whippersnapper to come up here and do this uh, is, is a big deal. So thank you for that. And I'm just excited to be here to share what God's laid on my heart for this third week. So I pray that this is a blessing to you. So let's go ahead and get started as we look at this. When God seems silent, we must draw near to him. The first thing I want you to understand today is that we've got to acknowledge doubt. That we have to acknowledge doubt, and you'll see that right there on the card you got when you came in. And let me just read a few verses that are going to help us get really focused in on our need to acknowledge the doubt as it relates to God being silent. God's word says this, Psalm 73, truly God is good to Israel to those whose hearts are pure. But as for me, I almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping and I was almost gone. Now I'm going to drop down to verse 13 where Asaph continues saying this. Did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Did I keep myself innocent for no reason? I get nothing but trouble all day long. Every morning brings me pain. If I had really spoken this way to others, I would have been a traitor to people. So I tried to understand why the wicked prosper, but what a difficult task it is. 
And I want to take just a minute and look at this guy and some of his words for us to really focus on this idea of doubt and that oftentimes doubt can come our way when God's quiet, when God's silent, that we really begin to wonder, what have I done? Or we begin to wonder, is God real or why won't he answer me? This is a really, really relevant topic today. And this guy does a great job to me of helping us understand his issue that maybe we can learn and we can glean some things from. So if we look back at those verses, a couple things I need to let you know. One is Asaph was a Levitical singer which I'll never be a singer, so I don't understand totally what that's like to be able to do that. But basically what it is, is the tribe of Levi had the responsibility in the Old Testament of basically caring for the temple. So they were kind of the religious tribe, for lack of a better word. And David appointed Asaph as as kind of a lead worshiper of this particular tribe that he was a part of. And he was appointed by David to serve in the tabernacle. So this guy was walking with God, knew God, he was a worshiper. But one of the things we see is that he's transparent with us. And we We really can understand some of his struggles and what he's going through as we're going to dive into these verses over the next few minutes together. Because, but one of the things we saw about Asaph in these verses, in verse 1, he really acknowledged and understood God's goodness and faithfulness to Israel, and he tells us that very plainly. But then we go to verse 2, and we find out while God has been good to Israel and God has been faithful to him, Asaph has had a different experience, and he's struggling some with where he is with God and what God is allowing to happen. And what we're going to find out today is his, his struggle has to do with the fact he was doubting God because God was not looking evidently or seeing, and he was allowing the wicked to prosper. And this really, really bothered Asaph. And this really, really got underneath his skin that they were able to prosper despite the life they were living. And how could God allow an injustice like that to happen with these people? Why would he not punish them? Why would he not take care of them? Why was this happening? And he felt like God was just silent and that God wasn't giving him any feedback about this. So what I want to do is just take a minute and look at some of the things he said because this is important as we think about our own lives and we think about the doubts that we have. Look at some of the things he says. In verse 13, he's talking about this whole idea of, have I kept a pure heart for nothing? Have I tried to walk according to God's desires and God's path and God's plan for me? Have I done that for nothing? Because I'm doing it and I'm not getting the same result as these people who are living a wicked, wicked lifestyle. Then he goes on to talk about, have I remained innocent for no reason? Again in verse 13, have I remained innocent? Have I tried my best to stay away from sin and ungodly living and unrighteous living and tried to live an innocent life? Have I done that for nothing? Then he goes on to say, it seems like all we get is trouble all day. In verse 14, I love the way he says this. Um, He says, I get nothing but trouble all day long. Every day brings me pain. So he's just really right now clueless as to why God is allowing this to happen. Then he goes on and he talks about (coughs) the fact that he would be considered a discourager if he really shared his heart and really shared the things that he was struggling with. And then the final thing he talks about is just the deep, deep lack of understanding of why God would allow the wicked to prosper. So Asaph is being really, really transparent with us and pouring out his heart and pouring out his doubts about why am I doing all this? Is it making a difference? Is it important? And it absolutely is important, but for him right now, it doesn't seem that way. And it seems like God is just, (laughs) excuse me, out in left field and doesn't know what's happening. And he was really struggling to the point it was affecting his faith. And again, I appreciate so much what he says here in verse 2, and that, that is that I almost lost my footing My feet were slipping and I was almost gone. So this is a huge deal for him, just like I'm sure what you're faced with right now is a huge deal for you. 
So what I want us to do this morning and what I'll do for just a minute is just speculate and to think about what, what might he be thinking. I think Asa probably was saying, God, what's happening? Why is this going on? Or maybe he was saying, God, where are you? Why are you not taking care of this? You see all this happening. Where are you? Maybe he was just sitting there thinking, God, are you clueless? Or are you really, really real? Are you really there because you're not doing anything about this? And this morning, what I want you to do is to be honest, because I had to be honest as I was going through this message. I want you to feel some of my pain with me this morning. But just to be honest, are you where Asaph is? Are you, are you where he is this morning? And are you dealing with some tremendous doubts because God just seems to be aloof to what's going on in your life? Something's happened in your life to make you question God and for God to seem silent. Let me just throw out a few examples of some things that came to my mind as I thought about it. Maybe this morning you have a marriage that's fallen apart. And I mean, it has fallen apart at the seams and it is in shambles. And you're praying so diligently about that, but nothing, nothing seems to be helping. Or maybe this morning um, you were just, you're just in a family crisis right now. Maybe nobody even knows about it, but your family's in crisis. And again, you're praying to God and he seems silent. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's some other injustice that's being done to you. Maybe you just feel like you've been done wrong by somebody or maybe you're dealing with a sickness. I don't know where you are today, but I just want you to think about your own life and where you might be struggling and where, or where your faith might be tested and where you might feel like you're falling apart like Asaph because it just seems like God's not doing anything, much less hearing you. And what we do is we feel like we're wasting our time and we're pursuing things that are just, we're spinning our wheels. And if that's you today, I think the first thing you've got to do is to acknowledge your doubt. So one of the things I'm going to challenge you to do, maybe you know right now where you are, and you know right now what, what you would say, this is my doubt, and you could pin that very quickly. Or maybe you need to go home this afternoon and take your sermon outline and spend some time really praying about that and really thinking about, if I have to put this down on paper and, and really describe this doubt, here's what I would say. Whatever your case is, I'd ask you to spend a little bit of time thinking about where's the doubt in your life that you need to begin to acknowledge as we begin to move closer and move toward God. And that takes me to our second thing, which is examine the issue. We're going to start off by just acknowledging I have this doubt. But now we're going to go a little bit deeper. We're going to really start examining that issue and getting really, really specific. And we're going to see Asaph do this in these verses right here in verses 3 through 12. And, and so just listen as I read these verses to some of the issues that he's dealing with and some of the struggles for him. God's Word says this beginning in verse 3. For I envied the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. They seem to live such painless, li such painless lives. Their bodies are so healthy and strong. They don't have troubles like other people. They're not plagued with problems like everyone else. They wear pride like a jewel and like a jeweled necklace and clothe themselves with cruelty. I love this verse. These fat cats have everything their hearts could ever wish for. They scoff and speak only evil. In their pride, they seek to crush others. They boast against the very heavens and their words strut throughout the earth. And so the people are dismayed and confused, drinking in all their words. What does God know, they ask? Does the Most High even know what's happening? Look at these wicked people enjoying a life of ease while their riches multiply. 
And as I read those verses, I see a guy who's really pouring out his heart and is really identifying, here's the issue. God, here's what I'm struggling with. Here's the details of what I'm struggling with. And look at that list. Envy the proud and their prosperity. This guy's saying, I'm trying to live for God, and I see these guys over here living a life that just seems so easy, and I'm envious of it, and I want their prosperity. Then he goes on to talk about their lives seem painless. Their bodies seem to be help, seem to be healthy despite how they're living. He says there's no troubles or problems like the godly are facing. He goes on to say they're prideful and they're cruel. They're, they're fat cats. They have all that they desire. They don't need anything else. Everything they want and everything they desire, they have. They speak evil and they crush other people. They boast against God. And this, to me, really stood out. They boast against God, and, and the things they're saying about God is it's causing tremendous confusion. They're questioning God and his awareness of what's really happening. They live an easy life. They live a really, really easy life. And as I read those things, I have to tell you, I think Asaph has a point. I mean, it doesn't make sense, and it doesn't make sense that God's not calling and telling him and sharing with him exactly what's going on. It just doesn't make sense on the surface. But let me tell you this, God's at work, and we're going to see that in just a minute. But at this particular point, God is silent, and he doesn't understand why, and he struggles with that. And I think what's important about this point is just the need to get specific and examine the issue at its very foundation, to dig deep, to get to the roots. I think about that whole idea of roots, and I can't help but think back to years ago. My wife even told me after the service, she said, you should have showed them a picture. But in Columbia, about eight or nine years ago, I just decided, man, I'm going to have like a kicking yard, and it's going to be beautiful. My dad had a beautiful yard. I talked about that last week, and mom, beautiful flowers and everything else. So I thought, I'm going to have like the coolest yard ever. So I worked my yard like crazy. I fertilized, I watered, took great care of it. And sure enough, it didn't take long before, this is not a lie, my neighbors would come by and ask me, could we just walk on your grass? It looks so good. And of course, I'm like, yes, you can do that. That'll be fine. But here's the issue. I noticed after the second year of having this great yard, the fall came, I fertilized, I watered like I was supposed to. All of a sudden, spring came around, and I started noticing that my grass didn't seem to be coming back like it had previously. And I started noticing some dry, uh, some dead spots. I started noticing some, noticing some bare spots. And before long, as spring approached, I realized my yard is in trouble. So I called in some guys that I knew, and <laughs> I said, tell me what's going on with my yard. I mean, last year it was beautiful and plush, and look at it now. And what they observed was this, two things. They said, Danny, you fertilized too late in the year. So your yard continued to grow when it needed to go dormant. And they said the second thing is you didn't cut it short enough. And because of that, it held moisture all winter long, and it's dead because the roots have actually rotted. And when I thought about the importance of us getting to the very bottom of the issue, the roots are really, really important. We've got to dig down and really figure out why it is the thing that we're struggling with, the reason why we think God might be quiet. We've got to get to the root of that and really explore and examine that, just like Asaph did in these verses. That is critical that we do that. And we need to learn from him to examine the issue. We also need to understand that it might be hard and unpleasant, but it's what's needed if we're going to move forward. Asaph had to acknowledge the issue before he could move forward and before he could draw near to God. He had to acknowledge that. So he got specific about the issues in his struggle. And another illustration when I thought about this whole idea of getting really, really down to the root and really facing the struggle, I had one of these times, and I'm going to go back to my seminary days because this was a big deal for Kelly and me. It was 1994, 
and we were getting a letter from the seminary telling us where we were going to live. We were in, in New Orleans. And so not the safest place in 1994. This was pre-Katrina, a very large city, a very violent city. Um, my wife had to drive through some pretty rough neighborhoods from our home located in the Gentilly area to the downtown area where she worked and always wanted her to call me as soon as she got there just because it was a rough city. And I'll never forget opening the mail one day in my bedroom and I saw on this letter that our housing was going to be in a place called Gentilly Apartments. They were not on the campus of New Orleans Seminary. And so all of a sudden my heart just sank and I'll just tell you, I began to weep. And I thought, God, you're calling me to take my wife down to New Orleans and you're putting us in a place that's not even, part, not even within the seminary. This is a big deal and I'm worried about my wife and her safety. I'm not going to be around a lot. She's going to be at home and I'm paranoid and I'm scared. I would love to tell you that I did what Asaph did and I acknowledged my doubt and I started examining the issue. I didn't do that. I just started really thinking, God, what are you doing? God, do you hear me? I'm praying. I'm asking you to open something up on the campus of the seminary. I don't understand why this isn't working out. I don't understand why you're being quiet. And from about January until August, nothing, nothing. I'll tell you, it was a spiritual battle. To the point I almost thought, well, God, I'll show you. I'll go to seminary located in a nicer city, and I don't have to worry about my family. But I knew where I needed to be. And then as usual, when my wife and I got down to New Orleans, and we moved into this place called the Gentilly Apartments, I was so grateful that God had been silent. Because when we got there, we met some incredible people. The location where we were in was fantastic. I was able to handle seminary like a job, and I wasn't in there all the time. I just went there. I did my thing. I came back home. It just turned out to really, really be a perfect place, a two-bedroom apartment instead of living in an oversized dorm, which is where we lived on campus. There's just reason after reason after reason why I saw that God was just silent because he knew what he was doing. And this morning, as I think about that whole thing and getting specific about the issues, I didn't do that. I wish I had done that. But God was faithful and God was at work. And as we acknowledge that doubt, as we acknowledge those issues we face, we're going to understand this is a big deal. And, and we have reason to feel like we feel, but the reality is this, God is always at work. God is carrying out his plan. And if he's silent, he's silent for a reason. And we've got to try to understand and connect with his heart to know what that is. So what I want to ask you to do in point two is this, just to take some time and sit down and really process what's going on in your life right now and why whatever that issue is bothers you. And to get detail like Asaph did and take some time this afternoon to write those things down and really look at it. For Asaph, it had to do with the, the wealthy being prosperous and living an easy life. I don't know what it'll be for you, but what I want to challenge you to do is just to take some time and think about what are the issues related to this thing that it seems like God's being silent about. And that's going to lead me to point number three, which is so critical, and that is draw near to God, the whole point of our sermon. Despite the, the doubts that we may have and despite the issues that we may have, the most important thing that we can do is draw near to God. So let's talk about that for just a minute. In verse 17, God's word says this, and this is Ace of speaking. Then I went into your sanctuary, O God, and I finally understood the destiny of the wicked. Look at what he did. He finally, he finally went into, he finally went into the sanctuary where God was, was in that time, and his presence was in that sanctuary. And that's where Asaph went into God's presence. So let's see what we can learn from him. During, the, during these times that we, of, of silence, we need to draw near to God just like Asaph. And Asaph turned to God during that time, and he met him with a purpose and with a reason of trying to understand what was going on. 
And he began to look to God and to turn to him rather than trying to rely on his own ways and his own thoughts, which is what he'd been doing up to this point. And I want you to notice the result that happened. Whenever he went before God, he began to understand. Now, I want to tell you this. A lot of times, God may give us the privilege and the opportunity to understand what's going on. But I'll tell you this. He's God, and he may not always, we may not always have an understanding of why we're where we are, why we're dealing with the things we are. But in this particular situation, Asaph began to understand, and I don't have time to develop it, but if you read down into verses 18 through 20, you'll begin to see God had this thing under control, and you'll find out what began to happen to those wicked people. God was at work, and God was busy doing what God needed to do in his purpose and his plan. But I also want you to notice this, and I didn't really pick up on this until I began to study this passage a little bit more, but in verses 21 through 28, God did some other amazing things as Asa made himself available to God. And I want you to listen as I read these verses and just try to pick up on some of the things that God's doing right here in in Asa's life. Asa says this, once he's entered the sanctuary, then I realized that my heart was bitter and I was all torn up inside. I was so foolish and ignorant. I must have seemed like, listen to this, a senseless animal to you. Yet I still belong to you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, leading me into a glorious destiny. Whom have I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything on earth. My health may fail, and my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. So I want you to notice that God not only began to reveal and show Asaph, hey, what, here's my plan and here's how it's working out, but he did some other amazing things in his life. And those verses, just real quickly share those. Asaph began to realize that there was bitterness in his heart. He didn't know it was going to happen going into this, but as he drew near to God, God revealed that to him. He revealed to Asaph that he was torn up inside, that it just what God was doing, the things that he was going through were really tearing Asaph up inside. And he was revealing that to him in the verse. Then he goes on to tell him in these verses that, hey, you were like a senseless animal. That, that's just a great description to me, that he was acting crazy during this time. He goes on to say that, you, that um, Asaph began to realize that he belonged to God, which is a great thing, that he understood in a new way, hey, I really do belong to God and God's caring for me. He began to hold his hand He began to guide him and to lead him. And then I love that picture of strength he uses in verse 26, that God remained his strength as he turned him and put his trust in him. God was at work, even when Asaph didn't know it. He was at work. He only realized God was at work when Asaph drew himself to God and allowed God to begin to reveal and to show him that. And here's the lesson in that. Asaph, just like uh, we, just like Asaph, need to draw near to God even when he seems silent. And let me tell you, this is hard, and I know that. I've been through it. You've probably been through it at times. But it's hard when things aren't going like we plan or we're struggling with God to really believe, to really trust, to really move to him. But there's a need for us to do that. And we need to understand drawing near to him is not a normal response. Usually what we want to do when we're angry with God is turn and run from him. We don't understand God to leave his presence. And what I would challenge you today is, no, don't do that. Draw near to him. Move back to him because that's where he's going to be able to reveal to you and show you things that he can't show you any other way. So what I want you to do for a minute is just to think about how do we draw near to God? Um, Because these are not really rocket science kind of answers. One of the things I started thinking about is right here, and it's God's word. 
And I'm just going to be transparent with you. Whenever things aren't going the way I think to, whenever I feel like God is silent, this oftentimes is the first thing I'll put aside. Because I'm angry with God or I'm frustrated with God. And I won't spend time in his word. And this is one of the primary ways that he speaks to us is through his word. And I don't know if that's you today, but I'm just being transparent. That's what I do, and it's not a good plan to do that. So if we're going to draw near to God, we need to spend time in his word. I think about prayer and how important that is and how so many times we discount that, but we need to cry out to God. And listen to me, I'm not telling you to cry out to God with all these righteous, holy, and great words. I want you to cry out to God with what's in your heart. God, I don't understand this. God, I'm angry with you. God, I'm mad with you. God, I don't want to be here right now because I am so furious at what you're allowing to happen in my life. It's through that confession that God works in our life. And I'm asking you to, be, to transparently pray to him and pour out your heart to him as you're drawing near to him. I think about crazy, being in a home group. That can seem so insignificant at times. It's so important to who we are at this church. But being in a home group is huge at a time like this. To have people to pour into you, to have people to help you think straight, to have people to encourage you is huge at a time like this of drawing close to God. Worship is important. Being around other people that are going and moving in the right direction is important for this. I even thought about the fact that serving is important as we draw near to God. That we need to plug in and get our eyes off of ourselves and begin to understand, hey, God's called me to reach out. God's called me to serve other people and not to get stuck in this whole world of, of me, me, me and my problems. But maybe we need to start looking to other people and serving. So there's a lot of ways to draw near to God. Here's my challenge and here's what I would ask you. What do you need to do to draw near to God? What, do you, what steps do you need to take to move from where you are to begin to shift back over into relationship with him and shift back over to spending time with him and shift back over to allowing him to pour into your life? Because that is where that silence will break as we do that and God begins to reveal and show us things as we draw near to him. It's hard for him to, to do that when we're running away from him and we're turning our back on him and we're fleeing him. He needs us to come to him. He needs us to draw close to him. So this morning, the challenge is really pretty simple. What are you going to do? If God is silent in your life right now, what are you going to do? Are you going to continue to run from him and continue to pursue your own ways and your own desires? Or are you going to stop dead in your tracks and say, you know what, from this point forward, I'm going to draw near to God and I'm going to allow God to work and move and to show me the things that he needs to show me. What are you going to do today? Because you have a choice. And then as I thought about the topic today, I really thought about, even beyond that, the most basic decision you can make, and that is the decision to be in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That that's the beginning point of everything I've talked about today, is being in that relationship of understanding that you're sinful. And listen to me, Cedar Creek is a safe place for you to say you're messed up. Because let me tell you something, you're looking at a campus pastor, and when Pastor Philip was up here, you're looking at a senior pastor, and you're looking at a worship leader in Ben, and you go to any of our other campuses, and you see who's standing on the stage, and I promise you this, you're seeing sinful, broken people who fall way short of God's glory. So all I can say to you is join the club and get on board with us, because all we're trying to do is take one more step closer to Jesus, and that's what this church has been about since the day it opened its door, being real and walking with each each other and helping each other and moving and finding our way back to Jesus. So if that's you today, you need to take a deep breath and relax and you need to know this is a place to come and be okay and open your heart up to some people and let us love you and let us walk with you. So there, you've got a sermon inside of a sermon and I love this place, okay? So I want to I want to encourage you first of all, and you need to understand you're sinful and you're broken and you fall short of God's glory just like the rest of us. 
Hey, here's the tough part of that. There's a payment for your sin and there's a payment for my sin. And scripture is so clear about this. The payment for your sin and my sin is death. And it's two kinds of deaths. It's a physical death that you and I die because we are sinful. Absolutely. Never God's plan for us to die. Sin came into the world and we die physically. But more importantly than that and more heartbreaking than that, you're going to die physically. You're going to die spiritually. And when you die spiritually, that means that you are separated from God for all of eternity and there's not a thousand-year gap and then you go back to God. There's none of that. So when you die without Jesus Christ, there's no way for you to receive forgiveness for your sin and you're separated from God for all of eternity. So here's the news I'm going to tell you today. You're sinful and you're messed up and you're broken just like me. There's a payment for our sin and it's death. It's separation from God for all of eternity. But here's what I want you to hear me say today. God loves you and God loves me so much and wants us to draw near to him so badly that he sent a gift. And it's the gift of Jesus Christ. And Romans 6.23 said it, that, that Jesus is the gift of eternal life. And what God would say to every one of us in this worship center today is, that gift is for you. What are you going to do with it? I've given you the gift that will give you life. I've given you the gift of forgiveness, of freedom, of hope, of direction, of peace. What are you going to do with Jesus today? And that decision is on you. That decision was on me at 11 years old. And what I want to challenge you today is to understand what God's passion is, is for you to surrender to Jesus Christ, for you to be willing to say, I'm a sinner, there's a payment for my sin, and I know Jesus Christ is the only one that can pay the price for my sin, and I'm going to surrender to him, and I'm going to allow him to be the Lord of my life. I'm going to allow him to be the boss of my life. And the moment you do that, your eternity is changed, and the moment you do that, that's the first step in you drawing closer to God. If that's a decision you need to find out more about and talk more about, in just a few moments we're going we're gonna to sing. And when we do that, I want to ask you to get up immediately and go to one of our prayer encourages. They're going to be on either side of the stage. Or if you want to wait till the end of the service, you come over to VIP and I'll be standing over there. I would love to talk with you about beginning that journey because that's the first step in drawing near to God. Because that's the only way we can draw near him is through Jesus and the forgiveness of our sins. So this morning, I'm going to ask you to be bold and step out and do that. Don't worry about anybody around you. You make that decision and you make sure that you know where you're going to spend eternity. And you make sure you know that, hey, I've taken that first step of drawing near to God. So this morning, my hope and my prayer is that you will just take what we've talked about in your own life. And if you are experiencing a time of silence from God, that maybe, just maybe, your next step needs to be to begin to take a step toward him, to draw yourself closer to him, to allow him to be able to do the things that he so desperately desires to do in your life. And all he needs you to do is draw near to him. So I would challenge you to take these verses that we've read today, Read over those yourself. Pray over those yourself. Ask God to speak to you clearly about those, and you take that next step toward him. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, I want to come to you and thank you for our time. Father, I want to thank you for your incredible love for each one of us, a love that's so deep all you want us to do is draw near to you because as we begin to take those steps of drawing near to you, you're able to begin to do the things in our life that you want to do. So I just pray right now for boldness for all of us in this worship center to begin to move toward you, to begin to allow ourselves to move back into a place that you want us to be, a place that you can do all that you want to do in our lives. Father, I especially pray this morning for the person who may realize today that they need Jesus, that they are sinful and broken and there's something missing from their life. 
And this morning, Jesus is the one to fill that void. Jesus is the one to provide that forgiveness. Would you give that person, that man, a woman, that boy, that girl, the courage to get out of their seat now or at the end of the service to come and find somebody to talk to about beginning that journey? Because that is the first step in drawing near to you is making Jesus the Lord of our life. Of our life. So, Father, my prayer this morning is that you would have your will and you would have your way throughout this worship center, that you would do all that you desire, and I look forward to what you're going to do. I look forward to the lives that you're going to change as we surrender to you, and I pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.